is in our series, continuing in our series on spiritual warfare. We're doing a series on equipped. And this morning's message may be one of those, this is not a feel-good message. This isn't a kind of get all hooped up and get all pumped up. In fact, it might even be a message that might do absolutely nothing for you today. And you're like, okay, well, then I'm just going to get up and leave, all right? But the message that we're going to cover and what we're going to study this morning may help you next week, may help you next month. It may help you six months from now or a year from now, all right? Um, how, many of you, how many of you have ever taken medicine or medication? It's called a time-released capsule. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It doesn't give you what you need. All the, it doesn't give you the whole thing at once. You know what I'm talking about? And so this teaching this morning and this weapon that we're going to look at is more of what I call a time-release teaching. That when you need it, it will be there. You may not need it today. Some of you may need it today. Or you may need it this week. All right? Um, or you may need it three months from now or six months from now or a year from now. But I want you to remember what we're going to be studying today. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And we're going to jump right in because I want to honor your time. And honestly, I think we should move pretty quickly. Um, now, here's the thing. If, if you guys don't pay attention quickly, it's your fault that we get out late. Okay? That's the biggest problem. I, it's just, if you pay attention quickly, then I can get us out of here quickly. And all God's people said, all right. So you guys want to get out, right? So it's all your fault if it takes me forever to get through a sermon. So uh, anyway, so if you pay attention quickly, I'll move quickly. This uh, is kind of just, a, we're going to touch on this subject in just a moment. But... We're going to look at something that's not really taught or preached or spoken of a lot in churches. We're going to talk today about a spiritual weapon called fasting. Fasting. How many of you have ever heard of that term, fasting, to fast? Some of you, how many of you have ever heard of intermittent fasting? All right, that's kind of getting popular. It's another one of those fads. Sorry, it's just another fad, okay? Um, We're not talking about fasting for athleticism or for your health, we're talking about fasting as a spiritual weapon, and we're going to see that this morning. So let's uh, briefly review. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is our theme verses. We're talking about being equipped. And so we're talking about being equipped specifically for spiritual warfare. And so in 2 Timothy 3, if you would follow along with me, verse 16 and 17, all scripture, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is more scripture. It's given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine. That's that's teaching. For reproof, for correction. Notice this. For instruction in righteousness. To to live uh, a righteous, godly life. He says that the man of God or that the servant of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we're looking at being equipped for spiritual warfare. Let me remind you that we are in a great spiritual battle, that we live behind enemy lines. The Bible says that Satan is the prince and he is the power of the air. He's referred to in Scripture as the God of this world. Your enemy is, Peter says, is like the devil's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said this, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I have come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. 
May I remind all of us that we, as Christians, we are living on a battlefield. We are living on, if you will, in a battleground. It is not a playground. And that Satan, he is alive and well. And may I remind you of something. Just continue to watch and pay attention to the signs of the times. And, and the Bible tells us in Revelation that Satan knows when his days are numbered. And it says this, that in Revelation it says he will un, unleash his fury upon the earth when he knows and he sees that his days are numbered. And I want to just remind us, church, remind us as followers of Christ that we need to be paying attention, that we need to wake up and watch what's going on in our society, watch what's going on in the world, because I truly believe that we are seeing many signs of the great possibility and even probability that we are beginning to see the beginning of the end of days. And Satan knows that his time is short, and so he unleashes his fury. We are in a great spiritual conflict, good versus evil, light versus darkness, lies versus truth. And the scripture tells us, and we won't go there this morning, but we were studying in Ephesians 6. We looked at the armor of God. And so we are looking at the advantages that God has given us. And we saw that we must put on the full armor of God. But not only do we need to put on the armor, we also have an arsenal. We have weapons. And the weapons we studied so far were the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have the scriptures. We have the word of God, and we need to speak the word of God and, and know the word of God. And we need to speak the word of God when Satan tests us and tempts us. If you're struggling with bitterness, find scripture that, that will help you in that area of bitterness. If you struggle with jealousy, or if you struggle with lust, or if you struggle with anger, you need to, as we study, take those scriptures, learn those scriptures, write down those scriptures. And when the devil begins to test you and tempt you in those areas, is use the word of God, use the scripture as Jesus did to rebuke Satan, to get him out of your life. Last week we studied prayer and the importance of prayer and to be persistent in prayer. It is a great spiritual weapon that God has given us. And I want us to go to Mark chapter 9 because we're going to see that the Lord Jesus while here on earth not only use prayer, not only use scripture, but I want you to notice another weapon that Jesus used in spiritual warfare. As I said, the, the subject we're going to look at this morning is not popular, if you will, because it's not something that's convenient. I want to share with you that the Jewish people for generations and generations, and even to this day, they practice fasting. Muslims, Islam, Muslims practice fasting. In fact, they will fast during Ramadan for 30 days. They will have fast through all the daylight hours and break fast after the sun sets. We, many people have heard of the, the term Lent. Uh, many denominations and churches will do Lent, you know, 40 days, and maybe they'll give up something and, and they'll have a time of fasting. But let's be honest, in our American Christian culture, fasting is something that is not often really taught, preached. I'm not saying that it's never covered. I'm just saying that it's not very popular. How many of you would say you probably agree with it? That that's probably something that's not really pushed a lot. Would you agree with that? And let me share with you one reason why. And it's because whether we want to admit this or not, we are so stinking 
spoiled. The stinking's in the original language. That's in the Greek. But we are so, man, we are so spoiled. By the way, and I'm going to pick on us because of who we are and where we are. We, we live in really basically the richest country in the world. And we are so spoiled. And understand this, we have become so comfortable that any time, listen to me, I mean, this goes across the board. Even as parents, we hate to see our kids uncomfortable. We do not like to be uncomfortable. We want it, and we want it now. And, and you know, we're, we're in an instant society, and, and we want to be comfortable, and we don't like to be uncomfortable. And we want everything just the way we want it and how we want it and when we want it. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, you're just picking on us, and you're just beating us up. I'm talking to myself this morning. We are comfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to experience suffering. And nobody does. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to be without. We don't want to lack. We don't want to want. And so much so that what's really interesting is even watching as I get older, watching the next generations, it's amazing to me that there's times you have parents who, who worked hard and struggled and all of these things. Now what they do is then they say, well, I don't want my kids to have to go through what I went through. But that's what made you what you are. <laughs> I don't want them to struggle. I don't want them to go through the things that we had to go through. So now we've spoiled the younger generation, sorry all of you younger generations. But how many of we know this to be true? We don't want to be uncomfortable. And so Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, we're going to read a passage of scripture. I believe it's verses 14 through 29. We'll read starting verse 17. It says this. Jesus, before this, if you were to study, was in the gospel of Matthew, and you'll find is the same account in Matthew, I think, 17. But it talks about how Jesus was up on the mount and he transfigured before Peter, James, and John. He comes down off the mountain. Notice what happens. It says, Then one of the, 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 the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Notice this, they could not. They attempted, but they couldn't do it. And he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He says, bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit, this demonic spirit, convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and he wallowed and he was foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from a childhood. And often he has thrown him both, uh, both into the fire. Can you imagine what this family is going through? He says he throws him, this evil spirit wants to destroy him. It throws him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I find this interesting. This is a parent 
And I believe it's a father representing a mother. And then this poor child, when he said, help us, what he's saying is, don't just help my son, but help us. Because can you imagine what it must have been like for this, this mother and for this father to watch this child tormented? As this evil spirit had tormented him, oftentimes throwing him into the fire and wanting to destroy him. By the way, did not Jesus say that the evil one desires to do what? To steal, to kill, and to do what? To destroy. Boy, there's a whole other message and lesson here, and I'll just throw this out here. But can I say this to you parents and even grandparents? The devil wants your kids. He wants your kids. And I really love that these, this family, these parents, brought this child to Jesus and they begged Jesus and said, have compassion on us. Can you help us? Can you do something? And Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible, he says, if you can believe, he says, then all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child notices he cried out. And he said with tears, how many of you have been here? Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. How many of you, if you're honest, you believe, but there's still that unbelief? I love this guy's honesty, his transparency. And he says, Lord, I believe, but part of me, just part of me doubts. Lord, I believe, but help mine unbelief. How many of you have ever been there? Have you been there? Maybe some of you are in that position today. Lord, I know with you all things are possible, but I, I still doubt. I still struggle. I love what he says, help mine unbelief. And the Lord's going to. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. Jesus delivers him. And it says, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And notice the reply of Jesus. So he said to them, this kind cannot come out by nothing but by prayer and what? Fasting. He said this kind, there's certain, there's certain battles that take more than just prayer. Are you with me this morning? He says by prayer and fasting. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus was in a spiritual battle with a demonic force. And as Jesus confronts this demonic force, Jesus was able to cast out the demon that was in this child. Let's be reminded that the disciples also attempted to, and they were not able to. And when they were not able to, in private, they asked the Lord, what was it? Why were we not able to do this? One, obviously, it was probably a lack of faith. But secondly, he says this, he says there was something that you were missing. You were missing a spiritual weapon which is fasting. He says, this kind comes by prayer and fasting. Let me say this. There are some strongholds, there are some needs, some prayers that require fasting. There are some spiritual battles that you need, if you will, the heavy guns of fasting. 
They're the nukes. They're the spiritual nukes. It means this. And what I'm saying is this, is that, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you do it all the time, but there are times where when you're led by the Spirit that you find it necessary and it's important. We do not have time to look at all of these scriptures, but fasting is mentioned quite a few times in Scripture, oftentimes in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going to briefly, if you just listen carefully, give you some examples of those in the Scripture who fasted. We do not have time to go to all the Scripture. But Moses fasted. And the Bible says that after he fasted, he went to Mount Sinai, and there God revealed to him and gave him the Decalogue, gave him the Ten Commandments. Interesting, Elijah also fasted for 40 days. When you look at the great prophet Elijah, he went to the same mountain, the Mount Horeb, called the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, and it was there that God gave Elijah encouragement. The nation of Israel many times would go to God as a corporate fast. Israel as a nation many times when they fasted, it was for deliverance. It was when their enemies were upon them. And as they came as a nation and they fasted and they prayed, the Bible says that God did miraculous things and God delivered them. We studied last week Daniel as an example, and then he was in that spiritual 21 days of praying. If you caught it there in Daniel, the Bible says that he was fasting. He didn't eat any pleasant bread, and he didn't eat anything pleasant. He was in a 21-day fast. He was fasting and praying, and then that's when we see that the Lord was able to send enforcements because there was spiritual warfare taking place. Numerous times you'll see Daniel fasting and God gave him wisdom. Or you see Daniel and his good friends, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men that withstood the fiery furnace, the ones that were thrown into the fiery furnace. If you'll study that passage, you'll find that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only did they pray, but they were men that fasted. They fasted and they prayed and God answered their prayers. David in the scripture will find that during a time of mourning, when his child was near death, and even when his child dies, for at least a week there, we see that, that Daniel is fasting and praying and seeking God. Esther in the scripture, she prayed, she fasted, she even called for the, the, the people of God that were there in captivity to pray and to fast with her. And she fasted and the Bible says that God gave her favor. If you need favor, then maybe you need to pray and fast. Ezra was used by God to rebuild the temple and he also prayed and fasted a prayer of repentance. Nehemiah was used by God to bring restoration. And I think this is interesting. If you're in need of restoration, maybe you need to do what Nehemiah did. Because the Bible says that Nehemiah went to God not only in prayer, but he prayed and he fasted. Isaiah, Isaiah, the scripture says he fasted. And it was after this time of a fast that he received vision from God. Anna in the New Testament, as we're coming near to the coming of the time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, there was a woman, a prophetess, a woman who was a widow for great many years. And the Bible says that in oftentimes she prayed in much fasting. She was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. And she went into the temple and there she was able to see and hold and touch the very Messiah. And the Bible says that she was a woman who fasted. 
We won't turn there, but in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Paul Paul says that he fasted often, that he often spent time in fasting. Jesus fasted. Do you remember when we studied how Jesus used Scripture when he was in the in uh, in the wilderness and when Satan came and tested and tempted him three times? Let me remind you of something. The Bible says that Jesus fasted for forty days. And this is what we often think. We often think. We think, well, Jesus was at his weakest moment because Jesus was fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's fasting. And then the enemy comes and he comes to Jesus at his weakest moment. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus may have been physically weak, but Jesus was preparing for the spiritual battle he was going to have with Satan. And what did he do? He fasted and he prayed for 40 days so that he could overcome the evil one when it came time for that spiritual battle. We find that the scripture tells us that Jesus was a man of fasting. In Matthew 17, when Jesus comes down off of the mountain, the Bible says he was there and he transfigured. What we realize is this, is when Jesus came down off the mountain, that he was at a, in a, a time of fasting. And when he came off the mountain and he's confronted by this demonic spirit in this child, the other disciples were not able to overcome that demon. But Jesus was, said, this kind comes by prayer and fasting. What was Jesus doing? Jesus went to the mountain to spend time with his father. He went to the mountain in preparation for spiritual battle. He was there on the mountain praying and he was fasting. And when he came off the mountain, he was already ready for that spiritual battle and that conflict with the enemy. And the Bible says that he delivered this child. And he says, this kind comes forth by prayer and fasting. Even the last hours that Christ spent on earth, after the upper room and after that last supper, we do not see Jesus eating. In fact, when he was offered things, he refused them. Jesus was spiritually prepared for the spiritual battles. He used the weapon of fasting. Look with me in Acts chapter 13. And we'll read it for you. I want you to see the apostles fasted. By the way... I'm moving quickly, but do you see that fasting was used quite a bit in Scripture? Acts chapter 13. Listen to what happens in the early church. Shortly after Christ ascends into heaven, and this is the first gen church, the first gen of followers of Christ, and notice what happens now in the church, Acts 13, 1 through 3. That was at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger. Boy, that's a whole other lesson. But let me tell you, I truly believe there's a lot of scriptural evidence that that, that Simeon, who was called Niger, was the man who carried the cross for Jesus. There's a lot of scripture. And that's for a whole other teaching. But that, that moment in time where his paths crossed with the Savior and he carried the cross, the Bible tells us it changed his life. It says this, who was called Niger, notice this, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Next verse says this, and as they, notice this, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So this was something that they did. 
as they were ministering to the Lord and as they fasted, the Holy Spirit does something. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Notice what they did. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And this begins the great missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And all the church plants and all the books and the letters that we have, three-fourths of the New Testament, was a result of these men who were, as they were serving the Lord, they were praying and they were fasting. And while they're praying and fasting, God moved in their spirit, God moved in their hearts, God moved in their lives that said, go, we want you to go. And then how did they send them out? What did the church do? The Bible says that then they did what? They prayed, they fasted over them, and they sent them out. You guys are listening really fast this morning. We are like 80% of the way through this. You guys are amazing. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Listen to what it says. Moreover, when you fast. Do you think that's important? When you fast? Do you think that's important? Why do you think that's important? Give me some feedback here. What is Jesus implying here? What's that? It's a directive. Do it. What's that? Yeah. But it means that there probably should be a time in your life when you need to fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Does this make sense? When you fast. It is this, it's, it's, it's as if what Christ is saying is this is expected. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to need to fast when you fast. Not if you fast, when you fast. Now, notice what he says. Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. Can you picture this? He's talking about the scribes, the Pharisees. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to be men to be fasting. You know, why are you doing this? He said, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, notice what he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Notice again, it's when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. He says, do not appear to be men to be fasting. Don't broadcast it. He says, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret, I love this, here's a promise from God Listen to the promise in regards to fasting. Your father who sees in secret, what will he do? Can you say the next word with me? Reward you openly. This is a promise from God. He says not if you fast. He says when you fast. Obviously, he gives some, some guidelines. Don't, don't walk around with a boo-hoo pouty face. Oh, oh, I'm just so hungry. I'm starving. Oh, I'm starving. You know, you're at work or something. I'm starving and you're in the break room. I'm so hungry. Oh, don't eat those donuts in front of me. Well, why? Oh, because I'm fasting. I'm trying to get hold of God. (laughs) He says, don't do it to be a show. Don't show off. He says, if you do, 
what he's saying is you're going to miss out on the heavenly reward, and you got, you got your reward. You got the reward, you know. You got the applause of man. You, you know, you look at me, I'm fasting. And let me just say this. Um, I'm teaching and preaching on this, on fasting, and I do encourage and want us, at, all of us, and I want you at some point in your life to exercise this. It'll bring you closer to God. It will, and we'll, I'll talk just for a moment, just some practical things about fasting. But you need to do it when the Spirit really nudges you. And you say, well, the Spirit's never nudged me. It's probably because you haven't really been challenged and haven't really been taught and challenged on the importance of it. But now that you've been challenged and taught on the importance of it, when the Holy Spirit nudges you to do it, I would encourage you to be obedient and to do it. When I was in Bible college, one of my roommates, um, once you get to know him, every Monday he fasted. And uh, in fact, it was interesting because we had someone come and they taught on fasting. And it was, it was done in a way where it was very like, I don't know how to say it, but it was, it was done in such a way where like you were pressured to do it. And you were pressured. And they would have this guy come and they, he would speak. And my roommate, um, after the guy came and he spoke about it, and it, it was good teaching. We learned about fasting. But he did it in a, in a very, let me say it like this, a sensational way. You guys know what I mean by sensational? Like, like it was like, almost like this, ooh, if, you know. And it's, you're going like, to have like visions in heaven and all this crazy stuff's going to happen. Now, I don't, you know, that's not what it's about. But my roommate, he said the year before, I was just coming in, and he was already there, an upperclassman. And he said the guy preached on it the year before, and he had, like, he had a challenge. He told people, you should, you should fast. Well, this guy fasts once a week. And so he challenged everyone else to fast once a week. And so my roommate, you know, being a dumb freshman in college, is like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just. And so he made a covenant and vowed to God that he would fast every Monday. And so after this lesson was over, the teaching was over and all of that, you know, he kind of put the guilt and the pressure. I'm sitting there going, I'm not, you know, I'm just going to do it when the Holy Spirit leads me to do it. But he said to me, he goes, hey, he goes, I want you to know, I made, he goes, last year at this time, I made a vow to God. And don't take this wrong way, but he goes, I made a vow to God. He says that every Monday that I would fast. He goes, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. He goes, now, he goes, and now, he goes, I feel like I should honor that. I did make a covenant. I did make a vow. I made a promise to God. He goes, but don't do it. Joe, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. Biggest mistake I ever made in my life. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're an idiot. You know, like, I'm not going to let some guy pressure me in to do something. I need to do what the Spirit leads me to do. The teaching was good, but the man sensationalized it and tried to push it and then tried to get everyone, ever, you know, to, to make a vow that every Monday or every whatever, once a week, you're going to fast. I'm not saying to do that. I am saying that there may be times or needs in your life that require it. Does this make sense? And as the Holy Spirit leads, then you are to fast. Let me give you a, a few quick things very quickly. Here's a few quick thoughts about fasting. Okay, fasting is not just not eating. Lots of people fast. 
Right now, it's a very popular thing, intermittent fasting for your health and all those things. And there probably is a lot of great benefits to it and health benefits. But, just, okay, just because you go on a diet doesn't make you spiritual, okay? Or just because you skip some meals doesn't make you spiritual. Understand this, that as a follower of Christ, when we're looking into the spiritual aspect of fasting, it is this, that fasting is an attitude of prayer. It's a humility, and when you do skip meals or when you do feel this, these hungers, listen to this. The idea is this. It's a hunger and a thirst for God. It is a hunger. It is a hunger for God. A hunger to, to say, God, I need you and I desire for you to intervene. Whatever that may be. Whatever that need may be. So understand fasting is not... It is not just dieting or not just skipping meals. It is an attitude. It is a spirit of humility, humbling yourself, and it is a hunger for God. All right? Let me give you one more passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. So it's an attitude of prayer. It is a spirit of humility. It is, is a hunger for God. Secondly, it's abstaining if sometimes, in, in essence, it's abstaining from pleasures. The Bible talks about marriage, and Paul speaks about marriage and the, the pleasure of, of marriage and the intimacy in marriage. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Notice what he says. He's talking about sexual intimacy. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Notice this, that you may give yourselves to what? Fasting and prayer. We're not going to get into the whole sex stuff, okay? All right? Everyone's like, oh, bummer, you know? That keeps everybody awake in church. We're not going to get into all that. But what is the principle? Let me tell you what the biblical principle is this, is that... Here's what fasting also is. It's abstaining from pleasure. This is where it's going to get really personal. And this is where I'm going to tell you I struggle with. So someone might say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to pray and fast about something. And so one, it's an attitude. It's a hunger. It's a thirst for God. We also see here that a fast could mean simply this, abstaining from pleasure. So sometimes when people are still fasting, the idea is this, that they're going to still sit down and watch their favorite football team. They're going to watch their favorite game or they're going to get on their social media and all of these things. Can I tell you that sometimes a spiritual fast means this, that we do, that not only are we fasting from our physical, from food and nourishment, but also we fast from the things that bring pleasure to us, all right? I'll tell you one thing, you know what would probably make all of us spiritual if we just... And this is convicting. Oh, man, here we go. If we just took a social media fast even for one day, we are so distracted. Come on now. We are so distracted. And so the idea is this. It's not just saying, well, I'm not going to eat and skip a couple meals. All right? The idea is also abstaining from pleasure. It could mean, you know, as I said, what about, you know, here's someone who supposedly, and I mean, fast. So they're skipping and they're praying, but at the same time, they'll sit down and watch all of their favorite games, and they'll do, you know, video games or whatever, and they're going to enjoy all the, the normal pleasures. Listen to me, they're still distracted. They're not totally in tune with the Spirit of God. 
So that's where it starts getting personal because now you're saying, wow, now you're telling me that maybe I should fast from my social media. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now it gets really quiet. <laughs> now you're meddling. You're getting in my business. When Jesus went to fast and pray, the Bible says he went and he isolated himself. And he got alone with the Father. Here's something else about fasting. That is this. Assuming that, assuming that God is God and that God is in control. The idea is this, is that fasting is a demonstration of faith. And I can't say it any other way. Fasting gets God's attention. Let me say it like this. When we say, I feel led by the Spirit to do this, I'm going to, for a day, or whatever God puts on your heart, and you skip some meals, and you do a social media fast, and you get off your stuff, and you're not watching all of your favorite entertainment, and you take that time that you're wasting, I mean that time that you're putting into all the social media and all the reels and all the TikToks and all of that, and you use that time to seek God, to pray, to beg God, to spend some time reading his word. Can I say it like this? It gets God's attention. God goes, whoa, they're serious about this. They're serious. And it gets God's attention. Let me just throw this out here. If some of you struggle, with, if you have diabetes, and you have things where you have to have food, can I tell you something? You need to make sure you take care of your physical health, okay? So that's why I say there are other ways of fasting other than just skipping meals. You, if you have diabetes or you have some type of, of sickness where you, your body has to have food to sustain you, can I say this? God created you and God knows all about you. And God's not saying, I want you to jeopardize your health. Are you with me, church? And to risk your health, to risk literally potentially dying. There's ways, that's what we said, abstain from pleasure. Do a social media fast. There's many different fasts in the Bible. We don't have time to go into this. I'm flying over at like 30,000 feet just giving this some food for thought for you guys, okay? But there are many different fasts. You'll see that, yes, Jesus does a 40-day fast. And you'll see Elijah, 40-day fast. You'll see 10-day fast. You'll see 21-day fast. You'll see one-day fasts. You'll see um, a few-day fasts. And I like that because what it's saying is that there's not one fast fits all. The idea is this is it may be just a meal or two. Maybe you just skip a meal or two for those that are physically able. Maybe for those of you that can't, maybe it's, it's saying I'm for the next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stay off of this social media. And during that time, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. But Jesus used a spiritual weapon of fasting. So fasting is an attitude, all right? It's a hunger and a thirst for God. It's assuming that God is God. It's a huge demonstration of faith. Think about it. When you say, I'm going to do this, you're saying, I believe that God will bless this and that God will reward it. I don't have time to share with you, but I will tell you this. That in my own personal life, that there have been many decisions and choices and things that I would go to the Lord and pray and fast about. 
I would encourage you, some of you young people, if you're thinking about marriage, I would pray and fast on who you're going to marry. I would pray and fast on that. Decisions, career choices and career decisions, pray and fast on that. Even years ago, I remember I was 17, 18 years old, praying and deciding which college to go to and, and where to go and what to do. And I remember praying and fasting. And I prayed and fasted over it. What's crazy is God led me to a college. And when I went to that college, I met my wife at that college. My wife was still in high school. Yes, I was a college guy chasing after a high school girl. Yeah, she was a senior. I was a young high school graduate. Okay, I'm looking, I'm rationalizing. Women outlive men by a few years, so hey. And she went back to Oregon, and I ended up transferring. I ended up transferring, but God had me. I prayed and fasted, and I looked back, and I realized that that was God directing and leading me, and it had nothing to do. I was from northeastern Pennsylvania. My wife was from Salem, Oregon, and we met at a brief moment in time. We met at a college that she was just visiting, and we met, and now we've been married all these years, and now all of my wife's dreams have come true, amen? <laughs> all because I prayed and fasted. <laughs> so you pray and you fast, and here I thought it was about education and seeking well, and I was seeking God's will, but then God, I ended up transferring from that college and went to a school closer to home. But I know now that that was all a part of God's plan, that God was having us literally meet two people from separate lives, from thousands of miles apart that we met in just a brief moment. She was there for like three days, and we just kind of met. And one thing led to another, and it was a long-distance relationship. And people say they don't work. And, well, some, with God, all things are possible because it worked. I've had my niece, who had to go in for open-heart surgery, they weren't even going to do the surgery. We prayed and we fasted. And finally, a surgeon agreed to do the surgery. It had never been done on someone that young. And it was an extensive heart surgery it's supposed to take like three steps and he had to do like two of the three in one surgery and and they said she wouldn't even live through the night to get to the surgery and I remember fasting and praying that night and she did live to be able to have the surgery not only did she have the surgery but then we prayed and fasted for that surgery and then a couple years later for the rest of the surgery and by the way this past summer she just got married God answers prayer. But sometimes, sometimes it takes prayer and fasting. Do you need a miracle? Do you need a financial breakthrough? Maybe your marriage, maybe your child who's away from the Lord, maybe it's a loved one who's lost a prodigal, this kind sometimes takes prayer and fasting. And so I encourage you, church, to take this teaching this morning and remember that there is a spiritual weapon that many times we're not using that we have in our arsenal as followers of Christ. It's called fasting. Yes, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. But as believers and followers of Christ, Sometimes I think it's good that we get comfortable being uncomfortable. Amen? But it will be worth it. He says, listen, when you fast, 
He says, not if you fast, when you fast. He says, but listen, he says, you, if you do this in secret, your heavenly father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Let me tell you, I believe this with all my heart, not only because I've experienced it, not only because I know it, it's because the Bible says it. It's a promise from God. Let me tell you something. Fasting is a huge, tremendous spiritual weapon that you can tap into. And as the Spirit leads, I'd encourage you, if there are needs, strongholds, areas that you need God to do something, maybe the reason why is because, yes, you've been using Scripture, yes, you've been praying, but Jesus said sometimes it takes more. Sometimes it takes prayer and fasting. I'd encourage us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in this area. Amen? Amen. And maybe you don't need it today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week. But maybe a month from now or two months from now. And you'll say, oh, I'm so thankful. So thankful for that teaching on fasting. And I'd encourage you to tap into it and to pull out that weapon of fasting and praying and watch what God does. Amen. Let's stand together and have a word of prayer.